0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And Paul now really focuses in on this question about faith. Uh, and it really brings to a climax a lot of what he said in the theme or thesis of the book. And, uh, many people, if you're, if you to ask, if I would ask you, uh, what's the theme of Romans? If you're an astute Bible scholar, you would say, the just shall live by faith, right? The just, it's kind of the theme of the book. Uh, one of the overarching theses of the book. The just shall live by faith. And over and over again, Paul has hammered this home. The whole thing is you've got you to have faith, right? It's not about keeping the law. It's not about being a good person. What it comes down to is that God has done the work for us in Jesus. And our part of it is simply this. We just have to exercise faith. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to be a good person. We don't have to meet up to some standard. We don't even have to go to church every Sunday, we don't have to do anything other than have faith. right? So, uh, so the question really comes down to this. How is it that Israel uh, missed this? right? How is it Israel could not believe? How is it they failed to act in faith to everything in their history that led up to this moment? Right? Right? Where did faith go wrong? Did somehow God not give them the tools to believe? Did God somehow hold back something that would have given them an edge to believe the gospel message? Um, so we want to answer that, and Paul answers that. And, and we also want to look at, because it's relevant for us, if salvation, the whole deal, comes down to this one thing, belief, faith, trust in Him, this is a big deal. And uh, all of us, uh, if we want salvation... Uh, We want to know how to exercise and obtain strong, solid, believing faith. Um, If that's the way of salvation, I want more of this. Uh, Does anybody here feel like they've got so much faith, they just don't know what to do with it all? You know, their faith is just so rock-solid strong that it's like, oh, please, God, don't make me trust you anymore. I'm certainly not there. I am certainly not there. I struggle. I struggle. And certainly I believe God, but there's a lot about God. Oftentimes I, I struggle trusting. And there's plenty of things in my life that prove that, right? There's plenty of evidences that my faith is not as rock solid as I would like it to be. So the question really comes for us, how can we build faith? How can we build up our faith and make it strong? And and uh, Paul gives some great examples or illustrations of that in this passage. Um, and Before we jump into the scripture, let me just think a little bit about this idea of faith. Uh, Have you ever thought about where faith comes from? Where does your faith come from? How how do you generate the convictions you have, the beliefs that you have? Where does it come from? Um, A lot of people kind of have this notion or this idea, and actually the world often teaches this message, that faith... Is a matter of willing something into belief, right? That, and I remember as a kid uh, being told the the legend about you know the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow, and that you know the leprechauns at the end of the rainbow with a pot of gold. And I thought this was a pretty good deal. And I I had this as a child this conviction that if I could believe that strong enough, I could make this a reality, right? So I tried to will faith, you know, will faith. And I chased a lot of rainbows, and it just never worked. Right? It's never worked. Um, but there's this myth that, that kind of goes that way: like if I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm going to I'm going to decide to believe more, and I'm going to make faith happen in my life. Uh, Christmas season is over. Maybe you watched the movie Polar Express. Anybody watch Polar Express? Wow, not very many. You just need to get out more. No. Uh, it's a fun movie, fun Christmas movie. And if you have never seen it, it's about this little boy who is starting to have serious doubts about the whole Santa Claus thing, right? He's starting to put the pieces together, and he's suspecting that, you know, his parents are really Santa Claus. And the whole Santa Claus myth is about to just evaporate for this little guy. And so Christmas Eve one night, I mean, one year, Christmas Eve, um, he's wrestling with his doubts. And this magic train shows up as after he falls asleep and, and rushes him off to the North Pole. And uh, the, the whole thing kind of climaxes at this point where all the elves are gathered around and uh, Santa's about to come out and get on his sleigh. And uh, they're getting the reindeer ready. And they put the bells, the sleigh bells, on the, on the reindeer, right? And the, 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 the line in the story is that if you have faith, if you believe, you can hear the bells ringing. Well, this boy realizes he can't hear the bells, right? Right? And he's kind of panic-struck, and, and it's kind of ironic. Here he's at the North Pole, reindeer, elves, 900-foot Christmas tree, and he's worried about not being able to hear the bells ring. But anyway, it's the story. And he, you know, he one of these sleigh bells rolls over to his feet, and he picks it up, and he's shaking it. Nothing. Oh, crisis! Right. So he says, he says to himself, "Believe." Believe, believe. You know he's going to will faith, right? And he shakes it again. It worked, right? He willed faith into existence. Well, as good as the movie is, that's ridiculous. It doesn't work, okay? You cannot will faith into existence. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, Where does faith come from? Well, faith really is. uh, is is a matter of two things. One is belief, the other is trust. And in the scripture, the same word uh, that's translated faith, belief, and trust comes from the same Greek word. But they're really slightly different in their nuanced meanings. Uh, Believing or belief is the result of being convinced that something is true. So, for example, uh, I go to the airport and I look at an airplane and if I believe that airplanes fly, it means I'm convinced that that's a truth. Right? I, I'm convinced in the reality that airplanes do fly. And maybe I see an airplane take off, and I'm convinced it's not an illusion. And I go, yep, that is true. That is a truth. Airplanes can fly. Reindeer may not, but airplanes do. Right? And even if I don't hear the bells ringing, they still fly. Okay. That is, that is not actually trust, though. Trust is yet another step where I take something I believe, and I act upon it by taking some steps or action. So trust means actually getting on the plane. I could believe planes fly and never get on one because I don't actually trust that it would take me where I want to go. Maybe, maybe they fly in general, but I'm pretty convinced that if I get on it, I will bring it crashing to the ground. Right? When I exercise trust, I'm believing that truth and I'm doing something about it. I'm acting on it, and I'm committing myself in a way that's now dependent on what I believe in. I get on the airplane. I buckle myself in. And I trust it to carry me to my destination. Um, Well, Israel had failed this test. They were not believing. So uh, what can we learn about them from Romans chapter 10? Let's read verses 14 through 21. And think about this issue of faith. Uh, He says, But how are they... To call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they, that is Israel, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, haven't they heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did not Israel understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Um, Let's look at at the journey or the steps of faith. Uh, Paul lays out here uh, a very clear picture of how faith grows, but he does it in reverse order. So instead of starting with the origin, he actually starts with trust and he looks backwards at how, how it got there. Right? And that's what he does in verse 14 and 15. Um, and he, he lays it out this way. How shall they call on him they haven't believed? How shall they believe on whom... On him whom they've never heard. How shall they hear without somebody preaching it? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? So let's look briefly at those steps backwards and see how faith develops. First off, he says, how shall they call? Um, Really, this is a picture of trust, right? What is calling? Well, the word really means to invoke the name of God for help. And the idea is this. I come to a point in my life where I realize I'm in desperate need. I am in trouble. Um, Using the airplane illustration, you know, I don't necessarily have to get on the airplane, and so I may never be forced to put my belief in airplanes to the test. But suppose uh, word came that there was a revolution in Thailand and that all all foreigners were going to be shot dead on the spot, right? And so we all start running for our lives, right? And we all start running to the airport, and now there's an urgent need to get on that airplane, Right? Whatever I thought about airplanes before, now I need that airplane. I need to get on it, and I must have that exit route. Well, that's, in a sense, what's happened to us with sin. We come to a point where we realize we need God's help. We also come to a point of realization that God can indeed help us, that he's powerful enough, and he has put together a plan suitable to rescue us. And so we call on him, God, help Right? And that is an act of trust. I am entering into a dependent relationship where I believe certain things about God to be true and I call out and I trust in those truths. I grab hold of them. It's as if God has thrown down a lifeline, uh, but the lifeline is, is five feet off of a cliff, right? So the only way to grab hold of that lifeline is to jump off the cliff and grab hold of the rope. I've got to commit myself in a dependent relationship upon him. That's calling. Well, how does a person get to that point? How does a person get to the point where they would jump off a cliff and grab hold of a rope where that was their only sole um, help, where they're fully dependent on that thing? Well, he says in order for that to happen, you have to believe something, right? You have to develop in your life belief about a world of truth that would, would bring you to that point that you would have that kind of trust. So he says, how shall they call on those in whom they have not believed? Before we can have that kind of trust, we have to know certain things to be true about ourselves and about God. Uh, We have to know uh, that God indeed can help, that he is actually powerful enough to do something, and that he also actually is loving enough to want to do something. We have to know those truths about the character and plan of God. Uh, but not only that, we need to know uh, truths about us. We need to know that we were indeed created by God for relationship with him. That, uh, uh, that, that he built us for that. But that we have rejected that love and we have turned to fill our lives, to meet the needs of our lives through other things, other gods. In fact, we need to come to the realization that we, we really want to be God ourselves. We don't want to bow to him. We want to be God, and we want to fill our lives and meet the needs of our lives by our own vices and devices, uh, not by God's plan. And so we turn to many things in life to make us happy, and God calls those things idols, things to give our life purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction. But all along, God wanted to give those things to us, but we pushed that away, and we have sought those things in idols. Uh, and then we need to come to the realization that that didn't make God real happy. <laughs> that he is a holy God. He's loving, but he's also holy and just. And he must judge and punish that sin. That he cannot tolerate that sin. So that's, that's a world of truth and reality that we need to come to grips with before we can step out with faith. Um, and then, of course, we need to understand and believe that God has indeed some, done something about it. That Jesus came from heaven, came in human flesh as God's cure, God's solution for sin, for our rebellion against him, that he was the peace offering, uh, the sacrifice that that made reconciliation possible between God and man. So those are all, in a nutshell, the things we have to come to understand, the truth that we have to believe in. Um, Well, how do we come to know that truth? Well, Paul says, how can they believe in whom they have not heard, right? So you've got to hear about this. Somebody has to come along and explain all this truth to you. And you have to hear it, maybe repeatedly, uh, who God is, who I am, how I have failed God, and what God has done about it. Somebody must proclaim the message um, and must clearly inform us about the truth and paint a picture for us of a different kind of reality reality than what we knew before so we can believe in something we never saw uh, before. Well, how does this preacher come to us? Where do preachers come from? Mars? (laughs) Maybe. No. He says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? God has called out heralds and God has sent them. Important point. Um, there has to be a commission. Okay, these messengers are not making up their own message, and they don't come with their own authority or power. And the word that's used here for messenger or preacher—preacher is probably not a good word because when we when we use the word preacher, we probably think of somebody like me standing up in front of a church preaching. Right, but the word here really has the idea of a herald, a town crier. Uh, Long, long ago before, if you can imagine this, before Facebook, how did the world live, right? Before TV and radio, how did you find out all this gossip that we can now just spy on people through Facebook? Well, back in those days, uh, there was a town crier. And the the city council would decide on some rule or some law or have some event they want to do. And they would commission... A crier to go out into the town square and stand up and say, You know town crier criers say? Hear ye, hear ye. That's it! Hear ye, hear ye! Blah, 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 right? And they declare this message. Now, it's not their message. They're just a delivery agent, right? They're just a messenger. The message originates and is commissioned from a higher power and authority. Well, that's significant because. The, the agent that commissions, the agent that created the message, and who is responsible for its going forth is God Himself. Right? This is really important for Israel because God, what Paul's arguing here, as we'll see, is that God has indeed taken the initiative to take the message and deliver it clearly to Israel. Could God God did not go, well, you know, this will work really good when the Internet age comes along. and We can just send out emails by mass. But, boy, we've got to wait for that. I don't know what to do in the meantime. Right? No. God says, I am going to raise up and appoint and commission uh, heralds who will go out and proclaim this glorious message. And, and uh, Paul says in verse 16, um, Has Israel not heard? Didn't they get the, didn't they get the, you know, the message? He says, no, they got it. He says, their voice has gone out into all the earth. Okay, their words to the ends of the world. Um, That doesn't mean that Paul had any idea that every single person had heard the gospel. Uh, But the messengers were going out to the, and, and the word there really means the inhabited known world. And at that point in time, messengers had gone out through all the Roman Empire, large chunks of it. Okay, so it was largely accessible to those who wanted to find out. Okay, God was not keeping it a secret. He was sending out his messengers to proclaim the good news. Right? Um, so that's how faith happens. Alright, so let's let's review just a little bit, kind of for our own personal application, the power of the gospel. What Paul says, and he sums it up in verse uh, 17, how faith works. He says, So faith comes from hearing. Okay? Faith comes, faith grows, faith develops. Uh, from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ okay hearing through the word of Christ well, let's just unpack that real quickly what, what really that means um, And the, the, the words are there a little confusing but he says that faith comes out of hearing uh, it's, it's, it's a result or produced by hearing so uh, and he explains what that hearing looks like. He says that hearing itself is through the, the word of Christ. And that's Paul, one of Paul's ways of describing the gospel message. Okay, the word of Christ, the, the rhema, the teaching of Christ, That means the teaching about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as the atonement for our sin, the gospel. Right? Um, so what does he mean by that? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means simply this, that the, the word, the gospel, that message produces faith in us. All right? uh, and it's a little ironic because it requires faith to receive the message, but it is the message itself that actually generates in us faith. Uh, your faith was developed because the message came into your life and started to sink in and take root and create for you a new truth and a new reality. Uh, what does that look like? Well, first of all, the Gospels explains for us, in a new way, my own reality. Okay, it communicates truth about me that before we heard that message, we knew was missing. And you might say, you might think to yourself, is a message really that powerful, right? Can a word really have that kind of effect? Well, I would say even from a human point of view, it is quite incredible the effect news can have, right? In fact, there's a lot of research going on on how news and the way news is reported influences elections and influences the way societies and people think. One of the funnest for me of how this works is the uh, the story of uh, the radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds. Are you guys familiar with that? Back on, on Halloween Day of 1938, before television, when everybody instead of doing Facebook and internet actually sat in front of a box and listened to a radio. Um, uh, they decided to put on a book that had been written thirty years earlier to turn it into a radio broadcast. But had to be, it would be really clever to do it like it was happening live as a news broadcast. So instead of doing it as the kind of the typical radio drama, they did you know kind of the whole we have you know uh, new, new news, news news break news break and, and they they did it like they were live reporters reporting on these aliens landing on Earth right now they thought this would just be a fun way to do radio theater and they were thinking nobody's going to take this seriously it's aliens it's martians you know nobody's going to believe this but the fact was a lot of people did they didn't think it was radio drama they thought it was news and people started freaking out they started kind of running for their lives but where do you run from your lives when you know the aliens are coming from mars and so people were uh, in a stir and there was chaos now looking back on it this is probably the chaos wasn't as much as later news reports made it out to be. But nonetheless, some people believe this ridiculous story. Well, I would say this. If people will so easily believe something that ridiculous, imagine if we tell people the truth. There's something very compelling and engaging when we explain something that people identify as true. And the great thing about the gospel is it is true. It really does explain Our world and our reality. It explains truth about me. Uh, It does explain that I was created for something more. And people instinctively know that, don't they? They know that their life uh, means something. That, uh, That we have needs to be significant. We have needs to worship something. Nothing else in the world can explain that need. Right? Um, it explains to me that my life is not as it should be. Uh, Why do humans get so distraught and upset at death? Did you ever notice dogs don't seem to bother mind about this, right? And dogs can be quite loving and affectionate, but another dog dies, there's no tears, right? Only humans, because we have a sense that there's something wrong with this picture. Science can't explain that. Science says, well, it can explain how you died, right? But it can't explain why it bothers you so much. Can't explain that. Right? The gospel can explain that. You weren't made to die. You were made for life. So it explains our reality. Um, it explains why why we are consumed and obsessed with pursuing the idols in our life, right? Why is it human beings engage in what they know to be self-destructive, unhealthy, dysfunctional behavior? Right, this is the question of every counselor and psychologist, right? As people come and they pay lots of money to have some professional untangle them from the things that that they are obsessed with, but they realize are a bondage on them, that capture them, their addictions, their habits, their thoughts, their depression, the things that encase them in a prison they can't break free of. Um, The gospel explains all that. It makes sense of all that. It's because it's true, right? Um, We do feel guilt and distance from God. We do feel that there's something lacking and missing in our life. And sadly, the modern world has bought this illusion, this lie, that the absolute source and form of truth is science. Science. Right? That the only thing that can be proven is absolutely true is what can be verified scientifically, and largely Western society has believed this lie, that all truth has to be tested and proven through science, and if it can't be proven for science, then it can't be true. But the reality is, the greatest question, the single most significant question that every human being is asking, is why am I here? Why am I here? My life longs to have meaning. My life longs for significance. My life longs and calls out to something greater. I want to know, why am I here? And science not only cannot answer that question, but it tells you it's a stupid question. Right? It says, why are you asking? Because it's just stuff, and there is no purpose. So don't ask the question. It's just Dysfunction. The gospel says no. There is an answer to that question. You were created to bring glory to God. You were created a part, as part of God's grand scheme for all of creation and all of the universe. Your life has meaning in him. The gospel unfolds a whole realm in reality that the world cannot explain or give. Right? So when we explain that message carefully and clearly to people, there is power in that. And they will recognize it. They will see, wow, that that explains a lot of questions I have. I think that is true. I think that is true. Um, secondly, it, of course, explains God. And I won't go into all that as well because we kind of probably maybe know this part better. But it does explain who God is, his nature and his character. And uh, the gospel itself explains how a just and holy God who must judge sin, who cannot let sin go unpunished, can also be a gracious and merciful God who extends love and forgiveness. Because both of those things, his justice and his mercy, meet at the cross. In the cross alone, God pours out his wrath upon sin and judges our sinfulness And at the same time, through that extends to us grace and love and forgiveness. No other religion can explain that. There are religions that can explain clearly the wrath of God. There are other religions that can make God out to be Santa Claus, (laughs) kind and loving. Only in the gospel can both of those things be melded together and reconciled. Uh, But so, So faith comes by hearing. As we hear these truths, it builds faith. It creates for us, A belief in a world where all these possibilities that the gospel explains now make sense and are feasible or possible. Uh, But he says that not only that, but, but that the hearing actually comes through the gospel, by means of the gospel. I think what Paul means by that is that not only does understanding these things change the way we think about things, but in fact, the gospel itself, what Jesus did, actually makes it possible for us to hear you remember in the Gospels, Jesus told the message a lot, right? Uh, he proclaimed the message. Uh, if faith comes by hearing, the, the disciples should have been guys of incredible faith because Jesus was constantly telling them the message. I'm guessing Jesus is probably pretty good at this, you know, at least passable, right? But over and over again, Jesus has to say to them, "Do you have ears? Do, do you have ears and not hear?" Hello, wake up. Why don't you get this? Well, why didn't they get it? Well, they, the truth is they never got it until Jesus died. Right? The, the power to give them hearing was itself a result, a fruit of the cross. Until Jesus died, until he shed his blood, until he broke the bonds of sin over our life and our body and our soul and our spirit. There could really be no true spiritual hearing. So the gospel, we we hear because of the message of the gospel, it changes our life. But also the message itself, what it is, also gives hearing. Amazing, right? This is amazing. And that's what it took for us to get saved. right? This truth, this amazing truth, that somehow penetrated our lives. And by God's grace, he's given us ears to hear and eyes to see this new truth and have this new belief so that we could trust Him. Amazing. So it's all great, but that's what means to the problem. Well, okay, well, why didn't it work for Israel? Okay? If it's so wonderful, how's come they didn't believe? Why did they not trust? Well, the... uh, And I going to go up. Paul digs out a lot of Scripture. Real briefly, let me just say this. Uh, uh, he, He says... He says their failure is this, that they, um, verse 15, uh, verse 16, but they have not, being Israel, they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not obeyed the gospel. And the word there for obedience, which is an interesting word, and he goes on to say actually that um, they have not obeyed the gospel, for uh, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Uh, Paul interchanges these two words, belief and obey, in an interesting way. The word obey there has the idea of hearing an instruction and doing what it says. Right? So mom says to junior, go to your room and clean your room. Okay. Now if the auditory senses are working, if he's not zoned out or watching TV or something, and he hears, go, go clean your room, that's half of it. But then he has to obey it, get up and do what it says. Right? And there's an act of faith in that, that if I don't do this, mom's going to do something horrible to me. Right? So they act upon that. Well, that's, that's the word obey. And the idea here is that Israel did not hear and follow what they heard with obedience. They didn't act upon it. Um, and Paul says, well, th- did, they not, did they not hear? He says, no, their voice is going out. They believe me, they heard. They heard. In fact, he uses a double negative, to, which in Greek means that the answer is double affirmative. Yes, they heard. Well, he says then, maybe they didn't understand. Again, he says no, with a double negative. No, believe me, they understood. So what was the problem with Israel? Well, he quotes a bunch of scripture. We don't have time to go into it now. But one of them is from Deuteronomy 32. Um, and, and the Israelites would have known this, this passage, Okay. For, and let me give you an example of this. If I say, if I quote to you this verse, and I say, "He makes me lay down beside still waters," do you know that verse, right? And what what passage comes to your mind when I say that? The whole 23rd Psalm, right? You know this. I mean, all of a sudden, the whole psalm just appears before you. The "Lord is my shepherd; I shall not." Run. Okay, that would have, this would have had that effect for the Israelites. They knew Psalm 25. It was the song of Moses. Okay, this is a very celebrated passage of Scripture, right? So when when uh, when Paul says, uh, Mo- Moses, first of all, says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with the foolish nation I will make you angry. Okay, we read that and we go, what? <laughs> I missed something. The Jews would have known, all right? And it would have brought up to their mind, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and this is what it says. I won't read the whole passage, but... Let me just give you a glimpse of it. And these are the verses that would have run through the Jews' minds. Uh, Give ear, for I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. This is the character of God. But Israel has dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, God encircled him and cared for him and kept him as the apple of his eye. It's what God did for Israel. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. So how did Israel respond to that grace? How did Israel respond to that kindness of God? Well, Israel grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then you forsook God who made him, he, Israel and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. You were unmindful of that rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. They have made me jealous... And, and then here's the verse. Okay, Here's the verse that he quotes. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are no people. Right? So what's the point? Well, the point is this. Paul is arguing in this last section... The problem with Israel is that they had heard, they understood, they came to a point of belief. To some extent, Israel believed all the promises of God. They believed the prophecies. But they never took the next step of turning belief into trust. What should have produced in them a trust that said, I'm going to reach out and grab hold of God. I'm going to turn away and forsake all other Ropes, all other safety nets, all other helpers, and I am going to seek God alone for my help, and I'm going to trust Him in a dependent relationship where I commit everything to God. Instead, they said, no, we are going to instead trust in God's law and our ability to keep it ourselves. We're going to trust in our goodness. We don't really need God's help. And Paul is saying here that the, the, the breakdown was this, that Israel went all the way up in that process, up to the belief part. But when it came to take that final step of trust, they refused the step. And in fact, uh, they so much refused the step that they began to despise and hate the message. Right? Uh, and so they are guilty. They're guilty. Um, so where does that leave us? Well, let me just say a couple things. Um, you know, don't let this notion that if you believe a bunch of stuff about God and Jesus, that you're saved. Because right? belief by itself, meaning I, I know certain things to be true, will not save you. Right? There's nothing saving in that kind of belief. Um, Jesus says the, belie- the demons believe in God and tremble. And they're not saved. Right? Simply understanding facts and saying, yeah, I agree with those facts. I think they're true. That is not saving. you got to take the next step and say, in light of those things, because I believe those things are true, I must therefore jump off this clip and, and grab hold of that rope and fully commit my life to Christ. Where He, I'm in such a dependent relationship that I am not trusting in anything else solely in him to save me. Um, that's what it means to obey the gospel. And, and that's really what it means to be saved. And if we've not understood, if we've not taken faith to that point, okay, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And we need to realize that probably there's things we don't yet believe. And what we don't yet believe is that um, if we don't jump off the cliff, we're about to get pushed off, Right? That there's doom coming and there is no other way of escape. Um, Secondly, by way of application, um, we do have the opportunity to help others. Uh, We have all been commissioned to be messengers of this good news. And uh, maybe one of the places where your faith is weak, often my faith is weak in this area is I'm not so convinced that this message is going to change people's lives. You ever feel that way? It's like, well, I know my friends. I know these unsaved people. They're cynical. They're skeptical. If I tell them this, they won't believe it. And you see, when we think that, we don't really believe the power of this message. Paul says this message will produce faith. Right. In fact, it's the only way. The only way people will ever come to the point of believing is if they hear it enough to grasp it and have it challenge uh, their false ideas of reality. Okay, they've got to hear this message because it is this message that will bring them to faith. You say, I just don't know if that'll work. Uh, A couple of great biographies. Uh, Two of the most cynical, skeptical, and at the same time super smart people the world's ever seen. One was C.S. Lewis. The other was Augustine. Super smart guys who could argue uh, against anybody and win, right? If anybody was an impossible case, it was those two guys. And I just got done, I've read the biography of C.S. Lewis, I just got done reading the biography of Augustine. Incredible how that message unraveled them, ultimately. Right? It just unraveled them. And in the end, they, could not, they couldn't argue against it. And both men came to faith in Christ through the proclamation of that simple message of the gospel. Right? So we've got to not be so discouraged that I'm going to share this and people are not going to believe it. Well, of course they're not going to believe it at first, but they've got to hear it first so that faith will begin to grow. We've got to start learning how to explain the gospel in terms of the questions that science and the world and modern philosophy cannot answer. People are asking the question, why am I here? Only the gospel can answer that. Don't be afraid to share that message. Uh, we need to find and prepare and equip and train ourselves ways to be heard. right? Because what will ultimately doom people to hell is that they never heard the message. But if they hear it, if they will open to it, if they will receive the message, it will begin to work in their minds and their heart and their thinking. It will change them. It will get through. Paul says, in many cases, it will produce faith. Now, can they get to the point of Israel and come to a point where They reject and they don't want to listen anymore? Sure. Right? But for a lot of people, it will have powerful effect. So we need to be proclaiming the message because it's what will produce faith in the lives of those who hear. Last thing. um, uh, Maybe you feel like you need spiritual muscle. You know, maybe a New Year's resolution you have is to lose weight, go to the gym, exercise, run. Well, here's a good New Year's resolution. Let's build some spiritual muscle. Let's build up faith. How can you do that? Well, this is true for an unbeliever. It's even more true for those who have come to faith in Christ. Okay, Because coming to faith in Christ does not mean that we've understood it all and we have faith that is rock solid. Okay, Coming to faith in Christ means... You know, we've taken the first baby step of trusting and committing our life to Christ. But it is a lifelong pursuit, and it's a lifelong mission to be building up faith. And how do we do that? Well, by by hearing the message, hearing the message over and over again. The gospel message should never be old news to us. We should never feel like, well, I graduated from the gospel, and I'm moving on to bigger things now. Okay, there's no bigger things. <laughs> you, there's no moving on, right? Uh, there's seeing it in different lights. There's expanding it. There, there's seeing it in its deeper truths. But you never outgrow the gospel. And it is only as we contemplate, meditate, think through, reflect on, uh, live in this truth that faith grows for us and belief grows for us. And we become more and more confident in. Uh, in our need for God, in His power and love to help us, and in His plan to do something to solve our problems. Right? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth dot org.